0: We're coming back to the book of Luke, where I'm going to be reading from the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel this morning, picking it up where we left off at verse 10. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, that's Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. All right. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, You are free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things. ...that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a grain of mustard seed... ...that a man took and sowed in his garden... ...and it grew and became a tree... ...and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said... ...to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour... Until all was leavened, or until it was all leavened. About a year ago, I was preaching a sermon in which I made reference to a little girl named Daisy Merrick, who at that time was battling cancer. And actually, unbeknownst to me, the night before I preached that sermon, she had died. And she was the daughter of Britt Merrick, who is a fairly well-known pastor in Santa Barbara. He has a church called Reality Church that he started there. And he's fairly popular, and they had made a website for Daisy in which you could get updates on how she was doing and... You could donate money for medical expenses, and of course they had prayer requests. And it was a really heartbreaking situation because so many thousands of people from all around the world had been praying for this girl, and we were really hoping that we would see God deliver her from this cancer and give her the gift of A fuller life here on earth. She was only about nine years old, I think, when she died. And she was diagnosed, I think, when she was about five years old. And at the beginning, of course, as you might expect, people were really optimistic about her condition. They had seen God work miracles before, and of course his parents are going to be praying for one. And there was periods of remission, seems like that often comes into the story of cancer. That's one of the things that makes it so devastating is because you have those periods when it recedes and hope is kindled and it looks like it's gone and then it comes back. And I just begin to notice that it's hard to maintain that level of optimism in the face of that kind of trial when day after day things seem like they're getting worse. And eventually even little Daisy, who in the beginning just thought, I'm going to slay this cancer with the sword of the Spirit, was starting to question her faith in Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is understandable. Who wouldn't in that situation? But finally the family flew over to Israel and... They sought some special treatment for her that was unsuccessful. And it was at that point that she told her dad that she had decided to put her faith in Jesus. And that was shortly before she died. And so, in a sense, there is a happy ending to the story. The family's not grieving like those who have no hope they glorified God because they believe that she is cancer-free today. And not only cancer-free, but in the presence of God. But it's a bittersweet, happy ending. And in my more cynical moods, I'm tempted to think that sometimes it would just be better if miraculous healings never happened because then you'd never have to deal with shattered hopes on top of whatever sufferings that you're dealing with or someone you love is dealing with. And of course, I know that that attitude is completely wrong and completely bogus. I'm certainly not trying to recommend it this morning. That's the wrong attitude. I'm just saying sometimes in a cynical mood, you would think reality would just be so much more simple if we knew exactly what to expect from God and things like this. So we just knew how to prepare ourselves for what was coming next. And the reality is, reality is not that simple. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And just because a situation might seem hopeless to us doesn't mean that it is. And this story in Luke's Gospel reminds us of that, I think, in a very powerful way. Here's a woman who has been bound by Satan with this disability that makes it impossible for her to completely straighten herself up. So, just take a second to think about that of what it would be like for 18 years, you get up in the morning and you walk around and all you can do is stare at the earth because you're just not able to straighten yourself up. And again, wouldn't it be easy in the beginning maybe to have some optimism and to pray to God and we know that God parted the waters and He cleansed lepers and He raised people from the dead, even in the Old Testament. But day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, nothing changes for 18 years. What would you feel like at the end of that episode? And I think it's really important, by the way, that we notice that Jesus refers to this woman as a daughter of Abraham. And I'll tell you why I think that's important, because... As Jesus reminds us elsewhere in the Gospels, we should never judge people who are suffering in this way and think that because they are suffering in this way, that indicates that they are morally inferior to us who are not. That's not the case. She's been bound by Satan. Now, some interpret that as meaning she was demonically possessed by Satan. Others, like myself, interpret that as meaning she is a afflicted by Satan in the way that Job was afflicted by him. But I don't care to change anyone's opinion this morning one way or the other. However you choose to look at it, she's still a daughter of Abraham. Now, we don't use language like that today. Today we talk about people as being believers or unbelievers. But back then, to say that someone was a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham was to say that that person was a child of faith had the same kind of faith that Abraham himself had in God and that was counted to him as righteousness. So, it might have seemed like God had forgotten about this woman, but he hadn't during these 18 years. She was a daughter of Abraham. She was precious to God. And it's impossible for us to know the reason she was afflicted in that way. But when you read the passage, I don't get the impression that she was going to the synagogue that Sabbath just because she heard that Jesus was there. Now, obviously, that would be an added incentive. I'm not denying that. She possibly had heard about his public ministry and about the healings that he had been doing and had that hope that just maybe this prophet from Nazareth would be able to do something for I'm sure she was thinking about that. But what I'm saying is, even before she heard about Jesus' public ministry, and even after she had been bound by Satan, I think that she faithfully went to the synagogue to worship God every Sabbath, as a true daughter of Abraham would do. And... I think that that's important because what I really want to stress to us this morning is, I think, the kind of attitude we need to adopt because we don't know. Because this woman didn't know that Jesus was going to heal her. And because we don't know whether our healing is going to come now or hereafter, what kind of attitude, therefore, should we have towards God? And I want to suggest that what we need to have is... Humility, and I'm using that word in a special sense this morning that I learned from Anthony Bloom. When he uses the word humble, he talks about humility. What he means is a readiness to accept whatever God gives us. Whether God gives us suffering or whether God gives us success, we humbly accept it, we trust in God, and we praise and glorify Him. This is the way he puts it in his book, Beginning to Pray. I wanted to read a short passage to you from the book. He says, Humility is the situation of the earth. The earth is always there, always taken for granted, never remembered, always trodden on by everyone. Somewhere we cast and pour out all the refuse, all we don't need. It's there. It's there silent and accepting everything, and in a miraculous way, making out of all the ref, all the refuse new richness in spite of corruption, transforming corruption itself into a power of life and a new possibility of creativeness, open to the sunshine, open to the rain, ready to receive any seed we sow and capable of bringing 34... 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold out of every seed. The way the Apostle Paul puts it is, give thanks in all circumstances. And like so many verses in Scripture, the true character of that verse is defined by one word. The word all. There would be nothing remarkable about that verse if it read, give thanks in some circumstances. Because everybody already does that. We all give thanks in some circumstances, especially when things are going well. But when you change that word, some, to all, all of a sudden we're being asked to take an incredible leap of faith. And it's just now in my own personal life that I begin to really take that seriously. So that when I'm experiencing frustration at work or at home, and I'm experiencing irritation and things around me are going wrong, and the last thing I want to do is give thanks. That's the very last thing I want to do. That's when it's most important to give thanks. That's when it's most important to take up that shield of faith and not say, thank you, God, that things are going wrong, but say, thank you, God, for all the things that are going right. Thank you, God, that I can cast the full weight of my anxieties on you because you care for me. Thank you that you can bring good out of anything. Thank you that I can trust in you. Always, just the moment we feel that irritation, to just pause and say, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to give thanks. And the reason why that's important is because we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour, seeking whom he can oppress. Think about it, as one of my friends put it. Who's the devil going to try to oppress? Unbelievers? That would be, in a way, counterproductive for the devil. He's going to be oppressing believers. He's going to be looking for a foothold into your life to give you a spirit of depression, to give you a spirit of grumbling, to give you a spirit of self-pity. But the Apostle Paul says, when we take up the shield of faith, we can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And it really changes our whole attitude and outlook on life. And we begin to really realize that anything is possible with God. You never know... What's around the corner? Eighteen years this woman suffered. Eighteen years. Nothing changed. And then in an instant, Jesus straightens her and heals her and she glorifies God. And that's this mustard seed of the kingdom of God that's planted there, that's beginning to grow. It's beginning to show itself in national Israel and it will show itself in our lives when we take that same attitude. Because... God is always good because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, because we have the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We have more reason to glorify God than this woman did. And we ought to take advantage of the opportunity to do that, to glorify God so that He will straighten us up, take our minds off the things of the earth, and set them on the things that are above. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you for the lives of every individual that you have created in your image, and we hope and pray that you will give us the gift of humility, that you will unite us in Christ like love for one another, that you will have mercy upon us, God, your unworthy servants, as we go about our lives, and we hope that your light will shine in us, that we won't put a basket over it. We hope and pray that you will give us a spirit of gratitude in our lives to remember you when things are going well or when things are going wrong. You give and you take away. And this morning we want to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.